Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So first, a few announcements. So we're going to be on Spotify pretty soon, which is pretty exciting. So welcome new listeners if you came to us through iTunes. You can also find us or other folks through Spotify. They don't have a lot of shows there. you got to really... Uh, get yeah, lucky. Pretty picky. I feel like we've just entered some really Hand cool club. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So all with uh, thanks to our uh, crack production team that we have here <laughs> that made it happen. Um, which <laughs> AKA Margie. <laughs> so anyway, so this is happening. Um, and then we're going to be doing a Facebook Live, we think, on Monday through ABC. So that's going to happen around midday, 1130-ish. At TBD, but we think that's when it's going to be. So thank you on the last bit. Thank you all for the lovely, nice messages about our website to help crowdsource to make the list of pollsters and polling outlets really exhaustive. We got a lot of great messages. We're going to update it today. The time that I had slated to do that got taken by a false alarm that there was a mouse in the house. (laughs) It was really a purple pipe cleaner that my cat was playing with. And by the time I woke my husband up to catch and kill the pipe cleaner, (laughs) my time devoted to the pollsters website was now evaporated. So we'll get to that today. (laughs) Um, And there's also an email list sign up too. And so we're not quite sure what we're going to be sending you emails about, but you're not going to be like roped into our sales funnel and be pitched like webinars or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> or pitched any of the crazy nonsense that you're not getting pitched. I know. We've gotten some really – some pitches that would jeopardize our clean rating, I think. Yeah, we say. got – I'm trying to think if there's a way to diplomatically explain the pitch we got yesterday. I don't know. Just uh, like intimate rejuvenation. Inti- intimate rejuvenation. <laughs> I was like, that's not – that's not that's have off topic. Have you seen our title? That's that's <laughs> off topic. Like you don't even need to listen not. to our show. So yeah, we've gotten some cuckoo stuff, but um, and they, they were insistent. They sent us a couple emails, in fact. But um, but we actually did get a relevant on point pitch today that we're going to talk about today in a little bit. But first, we're going to have the top lines. What are the top lines, Kristen? <laughs> he said, "Shut up." The first debate is in the books. Uh, we'll discuss whether or not that snap polling is legit. Can you trust it or not? Uh, and then pre-debate, uh, we have had a huge polling dump that showed the race pretty close. Uh, what to look for in the coming week? Uh, then we are not throwing away our shot. 
Uh, we have inc- uncovered some fun crosstabs in some polling done by Echelon. We're testing how Hamilton fans feel about 2016. Then, do voters want compromise or do they want people to stick to principle in the room where it happens? We will talk a little bit about whether voters uh, want people who stand their ground or uh, who work nice with the other team. And then, everybody hates the media. And last but not least, I think we're talking about either The Simpsons or grilled cheese. I'm not quite sure what we, we decided have, with. We so might have time stick for around both. to the end. <laughs> we'll figure Simpsons it out. Simpsons or grilled cheese is on the menu. Too late to do a Twitter poll, but I don't know. We'll have to see how that would turn out. Um, so first, our poll of the week, we actually got a pitch that was relevant for once. This was the most relevant one we received, and it was from Nielsen. And, it, you know, one of the kind of hidden stories or stories that doesn't get covered as much in the campaign is what, you know, not just the advertisements, but how, what are the kind of buys that the candidates do or that political entities do? It's not simply like you release an ad. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show. Sometimes people release an ad and they just buy like two spots just so you, they can get press coverage that says, you know, Joe Blow released an ad showing X, Y, and Z, even though there's no real, you know, there isn't a lot of money behind it. Not a lot of people will see it in real life. They'll just see it uh, on the news. Um, But so anyway, Nielsen is trying to release some data about what, how you could best target voters um, based on the kind of music that they listen to, the kind of radio stations that they listen to, its swing states, uh, also based on uh, voters' party. The downside with this, though, is it's kind of a lot of like, well, this, well, I guess this is sort of obvious. Like, Democrats are going to over-index on R&B, reggae, and hip-hop, and Republicans are going to over-index on country and religious radio. I guess this is one of those things you probably didn't need a whole lot of data to figure out if it was true, but it's still, I, I mean, I did actually, I, I'm probably a little bit more surprised about independence and others. You could, uh, you could find those folks on classical radio, classic rock or alternative rock, I guess for millennials and some seniors, maybe that's where you would find them. Yeah. Did you I find guess, that surprising. I, I, I think the independent one is interesting, although independent is such a wide basket. So, you know, there are demographic factors that are closely aligned with being either, uh, there are demographic factors that are closely aligned with being either Republican or Democrat, right? So if you are live, if you're white and you live in a rural area in the South, yeah, you're more likely to be a Republican. So it, it totally makes sense that country would be at the top. Or African Americans overwhelmingly tend to be Democratic. So hip hop and R and B, right? Would you would totally expect that? But I feel like it's less easy to say like this is a Democratic, uh, this is a demographic group that is always independent, and so. I think that's why you have such like a weird mix of right. classic rock, alternative, what have you. I know it's true. And then, you know, what I would love to know, I mean, because obviously, and we saw this when we did the OK Cupid study, or we talked about that, where, you know, uh, people who lead Republican would say no rap on their music preferences, and Democrats would have things like rap in addition to crying and yoga and museums. <laughs> but um, I, I would love to know if white Democrats are over-indexed on hip-hop, too, if it's just about the racial composition of Democrats. That would be very interesting. That's something I would like. So you could pitch us that story, world, listening world. I, I will say one other thing. So one of Echelon's clients um, was Pandora, and we did a study for them about what are Republicans listen to and how much do Republican voters engage with a service like Pandora. Um, and one of the questions in our survey was an open end, right? Like, what artists do you listen to? And the coding for that project was amazing because we had to go through and like when people do you know how many different ways people can spell Led Zeppelin 
countless, <laughs> countless combinations of consonants and vowels can wind up being in the neighborhood of Led Zeppelin. Um, so like that coding project, I mean, that was one where our company's a small company. We pretty much just split the sample up by like every everybody on staff gets 200 responses you got to clean up the spelling. And That's like, great. Yeah. So it was fun. That's funny. Um, okay. So we'll link to that. As we always do, we link to all the stuff in uh, our show notes. So um, so we will link to that plus all the other stuff that we're going to talk about. But let's move to the big news, obviously, which is debate and all the post-debate brouhaha and polling. There was a lot of stuff going on. There were a couple of focus groups going on the night of the debate. So the Washington Post did what they called an informal focus group of undecided uh, folks in North Carolina who they said they reported gasped when they heard Trump uh, say that he didn't pay taxes. That would make him smart. You had Frank Luntz do a focus group in Philadelphia. It, I, as far as we know, Michael Willey or no other man snuck into the – or woman snuck into the Frank – As far as we know. As far as we know. I know. It would be hard to get that news out in a busy week like this, but um, <laughs> frankly. But folks go back. There was a you know a person who – like I guess you could call him a mole who snuck into a Frank Luntz focus group. And then made a lot of news about it. And uh, and that was one of the most clicked things we've ever had on our Facebook page, which I find kind of funny. But um, but no, no, I don't think anybody snuck into a focus group, at least into that one. Um, and then there was overnight polling done by some outlets and then some polling the pat the, the – at the subsequent nights, some of them were of voters, some of them were of people who watched the debate. But they all kind of told pretty much the same story, which is that Clinton won. It doesn't really matter which poll you look like it looked at, even including the Echelon poll that that Kristen, your firm, did. But there wasn't really any poll that we saw that was an actual poll done with something resembling a representative sample that showed that Trump won. All of them showed that Clinton won. Right. And there was a big graphic that was getting circulated around the night of the debate, uh, you know, later on that night, I think early the next morning, by Trump folks, which was a screen grab of... Of like, Clinton with a microphone and earpiece behind her, that oh, one. Oh, <laughs> no. Not the, not the InfoWars thing. No, it was a screen grab of all of the, like, Drudge poll shows Trump won. Patch.com poll shows Trump won. All of these, like, opt-in... Not even opt. I don't even think opt-in is the right word. Just these, like, as you're passing across a website, it's like, click here to tell us who you think won. Right, where um, you can refresh and vote a billion yeah, times. Yeah, clear your you cookies, like. vote again if you want, um, which is not how true online survey research works. Um, but so you had th – there are, you know, Trump fans that were sort of circulating this graphic to say, no, 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 no. All these biased mainstream media polls, they're showing Clinton winning, but the true polls with millions of votes are showing Trump won. And so I had a lot of people tweet at me, can you trust online polls? And I always wanted to be like, let us not lump right. all – surveys on the internet into the same bucket. There is a big difference between a survey you do via the internet but of a sample of people. You are choosing. You are allowed to take my poll. You are not allowed to take my poll. Not everybody can just show up at Drudge and click versus, I guess, you know, a poll on a website but that anybody can take. These are – they are – just because they are both on the internet – and they both look like they provide statistics that seem the same. They are not the same thing. Right. I mean, it, people argue effectively that there may be a self-selecting bias to the like the legit 
post-debate polls because people who thought that Clinton did a better job, maybe more likely to take the survey or people are getting influenced by each other rather than by their, you know, studious watching of the debate or whatever, right? I mean, those are legitimate questions to have, you know, then the, the also the question is, does it even matter who people thought won the debate anyway? I mean, what we saw in the primaries, when the Clinton-Sanders debate, Sanders won by a variety of other dimensions that were not who won the debate, that Clinton could be seen as having won the debate. But if more people gave money or started following Sanders as a result of the debate, that's an advantage for him too, because he was unknown. It was a different kind of situation, right? So you could have all those discussions about the post-debate polling for this debate. But what you can't say is that <laughs> – what you, some people have said is that these online like refresh whatever polls, you can't say that those are somehow the same as like legit CNN polls, NBC Survey Monkey polls done with a representative sample where you know they're trying to get the right number of people and not anybody can just show up. Um, they're not the same. They're obviously not the same. And to call them, you know, one, the results should be taken the same way. Also to call them all online polls or post-debate polls or snap polls to kind of give them all some kind of overly broad, unspecific label does everybody a disservice because now nobody knows what anybody's talking about when they're saying, well, I don't trust online polls or I don't trust post-debate polls. What are they referring to? Nobody even knows anymore. Like immediately became this big whole mess because you had a lot of Trump supporters really being very – I mean even Kellyanne Conway, who did a great job as a guest co-host of, of The Pollsters over a year ago, um, she – uh, you know, she also said Trump was leading in the polls, but deleted deleted that tweet. So people flagged that for us. So. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the 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 there's not only a difference, by the way, between snap garbage poll of with no sampling protocol and a legitimate poll with some kind of sampling protocol. But the other thing you have to keep in mind is, I mean, so the CNN poll, for instance, uh, I think it came out like that night, like an hour after the debate was over. They were like, our CNN poll shows Clinton won 62 to 27. Let's talk about it. And I really wonder, who is taking a poll at 11 o'clock at night? Yeah, like, I sure wouldn't have. Who's, who are these people? Now, of course, CNN's number has been backed up by other numbers. So CNN found 62% saying Clinton won. You know, my own firm's poll found 58% of people said that. Our poll, our, our fielding window was a little longer. You don't want a fielding window to be too long because then, as you mentioned, people may not have even watched the debate, but they're like, oh, yeah, I totally watched the debate. Clinton totally won, even if they, they didn't they watch just it. Saw a they just clips. saw it on the news and they're saying what they saw. Um, but the, the consistency, the YouGov, the NBC Rest survey assured, monkey, though, the Clinton won the debate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every single one of these polls, with I think the exception of PPP, which showed a little more favorable to Trump, because hey, when you call people on landline phones, guess who you're talking to? But I digress. Um, the, I mean, the, there's consistency there. It's not just that CNN was like some weird outlier. So, I think it is – you can say, yeah, Clinton probably won the debate. But the real – the only metric that matters is are you winning or losing the election? Right. And so if you, quote, unquote, won the debate but the polls don't move, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, if you win a debate and nobody's opinion moves, did you really win? What will matter more is whether or not the ballot shifts. And here I think we have um, a little bit of indication that the ballot may be shifting slightly more back to Clinton. I think our Echelon poll found Clinton up by about five, depending on whether you looked at our registered voters or likely voters. Um, the Huffington Post average is 47.5 Clinton, 43 Trump. 
Yeah. That's like a little bit of an inching up, but it's nothing really. Yeah. But they've designed their thing to not be that sensitive. Not be as wobbly. Right. And so we we won't really know. I mean, this is what the debate was on Monday. We're taping this Thursday morning. I wouldn't be surprised if sometime today, this afternoon, like as soon as we push this show out, a whole bunch of new polls hit. Right. That are trying to figure out what happened before and after. Because they'll want to inform Sunday. So be- maybe they'll come out. If not today, then they'll come out tomorrow in order to make sure their poll. Yeah. And speaking Sunday. of Sunday, there's a chance you'll see Margie and I on television on Sunday. Yeah, we're working out some details. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's a little we're, TBD. We'll push um, it out. You know, sometimes these things get canceled or yeah, who knows? messed but up by me. <laughs> stay, stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We'll um, but the – the I mean, I was kind of laughing because Monday morning before the debate – it felt like every pollster in America was just dumping poll results. Like, oh, we've got Clinton only up by two in Colorado, or we've got Trump up by two in Ohio, and it was this, like, flurry of madness. But it was like, thanks for spending all that money on these polls that may be completely irrelevant 12 hours from now once this debate ends. Like, I guess it's good. It sets a baseline. So then if there is movement, you can say, okay, before the debate, it was X. Now, after the debate, it's why. I know. But there were so many polls that were – most of the polls were pretty good news for Trump, actually, which is – Right. You know, it was showing a lot of cl- tightening in some of these swing states. You had Nate Silver all day on Monday, like – It went – he had the Trump, the Clinton chance of winning under 50, I think, headed into the debate, which was the first time in a while, if not ever. Yeah. And everyone started to freak out. Yeah. So everybody went in freak out mode. Then the debate happened. Now everybody's waiting to see, okay, has Clinton reestablished that – four, five, six point lead. And people were just shocked, shocked, I say, to find out that Trump could not be coherent and sensible and not rude for 90 minutes straight. I don't know why that was so shocking, but yet it was. People were like, oh my God, unbelievable. How did that happen? Well, I, the, the, I, I will admit the first 20 minutes of the debate I was watching and I was like, oh my God, Trump might win this Yeah, thing. no, he got some hits in for sure. Um you know, when he was like, uh, my, my people told me I'm supposed to make you happy. I was like, okay. Uh, he's he's clearly been coached, like, to, to like, lock it down. Right. But he could not lock it down for 90 minutes. No. It just burst nope. out of that, like, King Kong. Like, mm, <laughs> cannot be contained. Nope. I mean, the, you know, one last point about the overnight polls, because this will happen, too, when we have more, because we're going to have two more presidential debates and a VP debate. I mean, there is an argument. So normally when you do a poll, you want to have a couple nights in the field, not just because it's a break for your interviewers or whatever, but because you want to reach people who are a little bit harder to reach. You don't just want to reach people who are sitting by the phone saying, yep, hello, I'm here. And yeah, I'd love to take a survey because those people are going to be different than the people who you need to call back at different times maybe. At 5.30 versus 9 o'clock or schedule an interview or a callback or talk to their spouse or their kid and say when is a good time to reach them. Um, that Those kinds of folks are going to be different than the easy-to-reach people. So those callbacks, as they're called, are really important. That's why you want a couple nights in the field. That's why those insta-polls, overnight polls, can be a little bit suspicious. On the other hand, when you're talking about a debate, you're talking about, you know, trying to find out what happened that night. And so there is an argument for saying, well, this is the time where you would want to do an insta-poll because you want to talk to people with their first gut reaction before you then end up they're end up being informed by everybody else. Although that yeah. stuff, the perception still reality. If they're getting their news and they think Clinton won just because they saw it on the news, that's still Clinton winning the debate, yeah. even if they didn't watch it themselves. And I think that same thing sort of applies to the, the focus groups that are that are so popular because if you think about it, especially if it's a focus group that's going to be on TV, I mean, there is a subset of people who even do focus groups in the first place, 
But usually that's fine. That doesn't make focus groups invalid. But then if you're talking about the type of person who's willing to go sit and do a focus group on TV for that long, yikes, you know. And, I, and I've done that too. I did some for Fusion back during, like I think a year ago during the second Republican primary debate where it was me and Alicia Menendez and we had a whole bunch of like, like millennials in the Los Angeles area sitting around and, man, we subjected them to watching like we the pre – the undercard debate, the regular debate, it was – God, we didn't pay those respondents enough money for the <laughs> torture that we subjected them to. But, um, but you know – but like They should have been making Corey Lewandowski money. Somebody, <laughs> oh God, no somebody who, you know, like agrees to do that is going to be a little different than yeah. the normal person. And by the way, I mean remember in the Republican primary, you would have a, a huge number of people saying, oh, I think Marco Rubio won that debate. I mean, the Lentz focus groups, like, found Rubio winning, like, every yeah. debate. Guess who didn't win the Republican nomination, right? right? So say, that's why I say, like, the post-debate polls of who won, who lost, fine. But the real metric is who are you voting for? Right. And so if that doesn't move, then yep. did you actually win? But you know where you know where respondents are willing to be on a televised focus group? Iowa and New Hampshire. Because when we would do focus groups that were going to be televised, not only did we have to screen, you usually want to screen like, have you been in a focus group recently? And they're like, well, yeah, I kind of do this like every month. You're like, "Mm, no. But not only did you have a hard time finding people who had not already been in a political focus group, you had a hard time finding people who had not been in a televised <laughs> focus group in Des Moines and Manchester because there were so many televised focus groups in the, during the primaries that, like, people were, you know, caucus goers were like, yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to be – I was in the CNN one. Can I be in yours also? We're like, no. <laughs> Sorry, it's not, that's not how it works. It's a fun hobby. Um, so anyway, so that's what's going on in the presidential race in, uh, you know, in terms of the debate polling. What else did you find, Kristen? You had something pretty funny in your Echelon yeah, poll. Yeah, so one of the things that we did at Echelon is we were doing a, a poll as well. It was an online poll using a, a sort of a credible sample provider. So again, this is not one of those ones that just anybody can click and enter into. You have to be asked. Um, and we surveyed uh, about 1,500 likely voters. Uh, we found that overall, again, Clinton was up by five. But then one of the things that we did with this study was we asked two questions at the end, which was, one was um, about whether or not you watch Morning Joe. And one question, which was, have you ever seen the musical Hamilton in the theater, listened to the soundtrack, or like, no, you don't know what we're talking about. Um, And we found that among people who watch Morning Joe, uh, Clinton wins 56 to 36 against Trump. So about a third of people in our poll. How many people said they watch Morning Joe? A third. Uh, no, I, I actually don't know what the proportion of our sample was. Like, I don't know how big the end size was. I do know that 6% of our sample said that they had seen Hamilton in the theater, which is just mathematically not correct. <laughs> like, 6% of America is just millions upon millions of people. And if you can't figure, like, okay, how many can watch any given show on any particular night? Like, there are lots good. of people saying they've watched Hamilton, but haven't. So the free tip, that can be your, like, social, you know, are you lying to in your survey question your test like yeah. do people are you making stuff up you so, just ask have you seen hamilton's theater so full disclosure 
I'm not 100% confident that everybody's honest about being in our Hamilton subsample. But nonetheless, in our Hamilton, either you saw it in the theater or you've listened to the soundtrack subsample, um, we had Clinton 61, Trump 28. So a pretty big margin for Clinton among Hamilton supporters. That's good. I like it. And I I have to just defend my firm very briefly, uh, a man named Sean, who – I think is a perfectly fine guy, posted yesterday, well, this is Echelon becoming the PPP of the right, which, of course, sent me into a minor tailspin because I I always call PPP a troll pollster uh, here on this show. Uh, so, you know, PPP is a firm on the left that does a lot of these robo polls where they call people on the phone and they are the ones that do polls like, oh, Republicans all want to bomb Agrabah, which is the country from Aladdin, you know, or like – Republicans all want to vote for Harambe or like, look how stupid those Republicans, you know, so like sometimes they'll do fun stuff that we like chuckle at and we talk about in the show. And other times they do poll questions that are solely intended to make Republicans look dumb slash racist. And it makes me really ticked off. So no, asking people if they've watched a musical and then running that as a crosstab because it's funny does not make you a troll pollster. If you if we were to do a poll where we were like, who would you rather vote for? You know, what's a, your fave and fave of Aaron Burr? And we were like, oh, look at those stupid Democrats. They love Aaron Burr. Grr. Then that makes you a troll pollster. Um, we are not in the business of troll polling. Hey, look, uh, I want more funny polls. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in favor just, of funny polls. Let's throw this fun thing at the end and see. So, because I once got mad at Chris Alyssa on Twitter because he was like wrote a whole like sneering article about like – why is there a question of like who you vote for, Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, or whatever it was? There was some like Star Wars head to head that he found like annoying enough to write a whole article, and I'm like, "You're a buzzkill." <laughs> I, I was that person. I was like, "Fun polls are Sean. completely acceptable." <laughs> You're a buzzkill. Um. Anyway, so meanwhile, there's a couple. There's like a little bit of polling about what. How can we think about the debate other than just who won or who lost? It's a little bit more context of, you know, what do we learn about the the debate itself? And this is actually from PPP. It was on Rachel Maddow last night, exclusive to her, but I think it's being released this morning. Among, I mean, overwhelmingly, I think it was like two-thirds roughly said that they found Trump's criticism of former Miss Universe uh, winner to be inappropriate. And even with Trump supporters, I found this kind of surprising that 45% of Trump supporters found that inappropriate. So this may be one of those moments where Trump, you know, did something that even his defenders are having a hard time defending. Um, and this story doesn't really seem to be going away since the contestant or the winner rather has been, you know, been in the news quite a bit this week. And, and Trump has con- obviously continued to talk about it in the way he is. He is known for, I guess, of doubling down on a bad story to make it worse. Um, and then there was also some polling about not just who won, but who prepared enough. Uh, Clinton prepared enough. YouGov found two, three-fourths said that Clinton prepared enough. Only a quarter of voters overall thought Trump prepared enough. Even among Republicans, more Republicans said that Clinton prepared enough than said Trump prepared enough. That was 60 to 46 among Republicans. They could say both prepared enough. So that's why those numbers add up to over 100. Um, and then I think there was one other. Oh, so Brendan Nyant, who has been crushing it ra- lately at the New York Times Upshop, he has something interesting about fact-checking, just sort of writ large about fact-checking, uh, is another thing that I think a lot of people were talking about going into the debate, how much Lester Holt was going to fact-check, what were fact-checkers going to do afterwards, and 
Hillary Clinton, you know, calling out fact checkers, calling for fact checkers to get to work uh, during the debate. And so Brendan and I did some research into fact checking. This was before the debate and the audience of people who actually like fact checking turns out to skew toward people who are more politically knowledgeable and interested in politics. I guess that's not a surprise as opposed to the people who maybe need that fact checking because they didn't hear the facts the first time. Because, you know, they have other jobs. Um, those folks are a little bit less open to fact-checking. So, Well, the, the one – there are two – I have two beefs with fact-checking. I, I mean, the in the abstract, the idea of checking to make sure facts are correct is correct. But this now, like, industry of fact-checking, I have two beefs with it. One is – so take, for instance, in the debate uh, where Donald Trump tried to make the case that, like, murders have gone up in – New York. Um, so I'm I'm just following my Twitter feed while the debate is going, and uh, Philip Bump at Washington Post and uh, Wesley Lowry both tweet at the same time um, a fact check. And Philip Bump says Trump is right; murders have gone up in New York. It was 532. Now it's 569. Over oh, you know from 2004 to 2005. And at the same time, like next to each other in my Twitter feed, is Wesley Lowry saying, "No, Trump is wrong." Crime is down in New York from 2014 and like linking to something else. So these are two ostensibly, you know, nonpartisan journalists who have both come to the table with data and they both come to different conclusions. But when you wear the like, I'm a fact checker, you know, label, it's like I'm giving myself this air of authority that like my read on this is right and everybody else is just not paying attention to facts. And like even when you're dealing in actual facts, there can be different interpretations right. of things. Um and my second beef with the, the fact-checking industry is when people then say, oh, well, 80 percent of things Trump says is are false and only 20 percent of things Clinton says is false because it's it's a sampling problem then. Like so we as pollsters know very acutely that have you fact-checked every single sentence that Trump has assert, made and every single sentence that Clinton has made? Because then you can make the statement – 20% of things that Clinton says are false versus 80% of things that Trump says are false. But if you're not fact-checking every assertion, then your sample is wrong. You can fact-check a lot more things that Trump says that are definitely wrong, whereas you as the fact-checker can be like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna fact-check this thing that Hillary Clinton said. And, oh, look, it turns out that she's totally correct. And, like, so you as the fact-checker have the ability to make a judgment of what your sample even looks like. So I, I always – I always kind of roll my eye. I mean, it's um, I would not be surprised if it is the case that Trump actually says a lot more false things than Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but when somebody who is supposed to be in the business of fact-checking comes to the table with a 80% of things Trump says is false versus only 20% of things Clinton says is false, I'm like, that is actually a lie because you're, the sample, the pool of things you are drawing a percentage from – is, is not identical. Yeah. I mean, everybody who works in campaigns has gotten screwed by some sort of fact checking, you know, better for better or worse. Like, for example, if you vote to prevent something from going up, you know, to vote to prevent funding for some program to increase, you can be dinged on voting to cut that program. And a fact checker might say, no, they didn't vote to cut it. They've just prevented this increase. Their funding is staying the same. And, you know, who's right? 
I mean, you can have an argument on either side. So that's just one. Yeah. I mean, there's a zillion other kinds of examples. Like maybe you're just cherry picking. And so cherry picking of data. And I don't know if this is the example for the New York crime statistic. But let's say we're talking about somebody else in a different set of statistics. Like, well, crime went up this one year and that's all they highlighted. But really every other year for the last decade, crime went down. And why they're just highlighting that. So well, while what they actually said is true, it's not really a good reflection of what happened. So this is the kind of stuff that the fact checker spend a lot of time working on. And of, of course, voters, when they hear all this, are like, ugh, you know, <laughs> I can't be bothered to listen to any of this. Like, I, you know, you have a set of data, you have a set of data, who knows? Like, you know, I just, I'm assuming you're all wrong because like, why would I, you know, that's just too complicated. So, so that can happen a lot with fact checking. But I think the fact checking that people really wanted to happen in the debate, which Lester Holt did, which is to Trump say, I didn't say that when like a, you know, a billion people have seen the him say something on tape. Yeah, this was my this is why my favorite thing in the debates from the primaries was Chris Wallace, the second debate that he moderated. He would ask a question and like a Ted Cruz or whoever would try to like, you know, maneuver their way around it. And he'd be like, bring up chart number four. And it would be just a chart of and again, I mean, numbers can be manipulated. But like these were these were good charts. They were legit. Um, and so instead of him as a moderator having to say like, no, Mr. Senator Cruz, you're wrong. You did actually say this or whatever. Like, wouldn't it have been great if Lester Holt had like had a clip from the Howard Stern interview when Trump is saying or like had a clip from, you know, when he says the opposite of and then you can just be like, roll the tape. Right. Roll clip number eight. And that would be cool. On the other hand, people would probably say like, well, why was all the, was all this tape? We just want to hear the candidates, you know. Well, sure. I mean, but I think you but can. Yes. At this point, you can kind of predict what yeah. the falsehoods are. That I think everyone knew the Iraq vote. Going to come to the table right? with. The birther, right? And there were like three or four. So you can come happen. ready. And I, I feel like that's the kind of fact checking that is necessary now that there is so – and we can talk about this in a second. There's a ton of polling that suggests everybody hates the media. Everybody. And so if you want to get a Not rap, us. Hi. <laughs> we love the media. Do, we're in the media. <laughs> we are in the media. We are in political consulting. We are in polling. We are in ev- – like we're basically – What are you talking about? I'm one degree short of being like a lawyer no or a terrorist. <laughs> um, uh, so at, at any rate, you know, with this declining trust in the media, I mean you had uh, – I think you had uh, ABC or no NBC Wall Street Journal last week that showed people think uh, the only thing in their fave unfave list. Remember, they, everybody loved Canada, and then the media was below Donald Trump, below the political parties, below everything. Uh, and then there was a poll. Uh, I think that was Gat. Was it Gallup? Now I'm like flipping through our notes to try to figure out where there this was, was Gallup from a couple of weeks ago that showed everyone hated the media and Trump took credit for it. But I don't think I have that uh, here. There was yeah, it was. Um, and he was like patted himself on the back. Oh, it was it was a question by Pew, and it was asking, um, what what do you think is responsible for like things going wrong in America? And they tested a whole bunch of different institutions, like the government, religious institutions, et cetera. Um, and they found that the media was the thing that most people held far more responsible for. Uh, oh, here it is. News oh, right, media yeah. seen having as, by majority as having a negative effect on the nation. Seventy percent think the national news media has a negative effect on the nation, which is more than large corporations. We, I keep, we keep seeing this in polls, even though everybody's like, oh, I hate corporations. They hate the media more. Um, banks and financial institutions, 50% think that they've been negative. 34% think they've been positive. Uh, colleges and universities, 30% negative, 57% positive. So the news media, is like all of these things that sometimes get hated on by conservatives, it's 
it is the news media that's the one thing that everybody agrees. Yeah. 70% of people agree that they think are bad. <sighs> well, no, there was so something that's else. That's the challenge of the fact checkers. So Nobody it, trusts you. Yes, right. I know. It's, it's tough. So this is, what, I think, what we're going to talk about now for the rest of the show is – you know, what happens next? Like what, you know, how do people feel about uh, this country and each other? Like what's the next step after this election is over? Which I th- hopefully will be soon. I think it's going to be soon. <laughs> 40 some days? I hope it's not too far away. I mean, um, Monmouth poll, just the Monmouth released a poll last night, um, or I saw it last night, showing that like 70% of Americans feel that this election's brought out the worst in us. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Patrick Murray has been also crushing it, by the way. They Can we give like, him the, the Brianna Keeler Award for truth-telling in polls again? I think so. Three-time recipient? <laughs> He's basically, we're going to have to rename it, I'm afraid. <laughs> because he, like, there was a fake polling memo put with their his name on it, which... Oh, my God, it was nuts. And it was, like, as if it was written by, like, the fake, not real mouse in my house. Like, it made no sense. Like, it was so obviously fake. It, it was, it was somebody doing a really bad Photoshop job tried to mock up a polling memo that is supposedly from the Monmouth pollsters. And the memo, this fake memo was like, uh, we've, we, in the, in recent weeks, we've, we've been giving too much, uh, too much hope to those Trump fans. So we need to release a fake poll that will, uh, you know, really boost minority turnout and suppress the white vote. And like, it's, you know, the sort of fever swamp conspiracy theory stuff. And people believed it. And people believed it. So like my joke was, gosh, I'm so mad that the media keeps making up this fake stuff to boost Hillary Clinton. So I'm going to make up a fake thing to boost Donald Trump. Like, but it was just so ridiculous. Like, it wasn't even I mean, a good What does that do? I don't even fake. understand. Like, it was like someone had done like a bad screen grab of like the Monmouth University <sighs> logo. And like it was – Yeah. It was pretty bad. So, well, meanwhile – lost is, their damn minds. I know. I, I don't even – I mean, I can understand why someone would enjoy putting that together. But how you could believe that that's a real memo just goes to show, again, people have no trust in anybody. Um, So – Meanwhile, here's, I guess, some good news. Gallup showed that a majority want for their uh, political leaders in Washington to compromise, that it's more important to compromise than to stick to their beliefs. And it seems like that's increased a little bit from 2011 when they started asking it, or at least when the tracking uh, goes back. Uh, But it's probably not a surprise that you see Democrats a little bit more open to compromise than Republicans. But still, about half of Republicans say they think it's more important for leaders in Washington to compromise. 56% of Democrats say the same. Um, That 48% of Republicans, that's more than in 2013 and 2014. Actually, fewer Democrats actually want compromise than earlier. So... I don't know what to make of that, but I guess parties are maybe meeting in the middle. But I suppose that's good news that after the election, people want to see compromise. Some less good news is how people feel the presidencies of Trump and Clinton would be. So um, although I guess these numbers have improved a little bit uh, for Clinton and not changed for Trump. So this is also from Gallup. So about a third of Americans say that they think a Clinton presidency would be great or good. 39% 39% say it would be poor or terrible. For Trump, those numbers are 25 and 51. So a quarter think a Trump presidency would be great or good. And half, 51%, think it would be poor or terrible. And that is basically unchanged since May. Clinton's numbers actually have improved just a little bit um, since May. Not overwhelmingly, but Trump's numbers are basically identical. Well, That doesn't of- seem very – that's not very – 
And people seem really un- unexcited about this election just generally. I mean, the it, Gallup did a study where they were trying to – they've been asking over the last couple of elections, how likely do you think you are to vote on a scale of 1 to 10? And of course, people lie and they overestimate. They don't lie. Lying implies that they are They're aspirational. Misleading. They are uh, – incorrectly assessing their own likelihood to vote, overestimating their own likelihood to vote. Uh, but that, So we know that that's the case, but it's really interesting that over the last um, five presidential elections, you know, this one, 2012, 2008, 2004, 2000, Gallup is asked on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think you are to vote? Um, and this is the lowest um, assessment, the lowest percentage of people giving on a scale of 1 to 10, 10, I'm definitely going to vote. Um, the highest percentage of people putting themselves in the 1 to 7 bucket, which if you only give yourself a 7 or a 6 or a 5 on the 1 to 10 scale, you're actually probably not going to vote. Right. Um, then they said, how much thought have you given to the upcoming presidential election? Uh, people have given more thought to this election than they did in September of 2000, but it's the lowest since then. So lower than September 04, mm. September 08, September 2012. So a lot of people are just kind of checked out of this election entirely. Oh, well. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm worried about this. So this is, I, I hope we're going to see more questions about this as we continue through the end. So it's not just horse race, you know, back and forth, but what happens next? Do people feel like they're going to be able to live with the results? You know, that's a question that we should be thinking about. Are people going to be able to come together after, you know, feeling like they have to unfriend their family members on Facebook, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I just don't know. We don't have a lot. Of, we have some polling on that. We don't have that much polling on that. Um, but I think that's something that is going to be important to track and think about because that's going to be the next challenge once we make it to November. Um, so let's just go right to let's the, go to funny the fun stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> let's get out of the depressing. Yeah. We'll save. <laughs> I was talking, I did an interview with Maura Aaron's Melly, who has a podcast for fortune called hiding in the bathroom it's about like women's empowerment like you know times where you've like hid in the bathroom if you're like at a work meeting but anyway we were just talking about the polling and politics and um and she's like i like how you end with funny stuff and i said well that's just so people leave like on a good note you know if they're not they (laughs) send them on their way not feeling depressed about america but instead thinking about brangelina um so we have two funny things. People are asking us what we're going to talk about after the election. There's going to be plenty of stuff. One thing is going to be, for example, like fun fun with data. So there was an article in the Post about this like data dude who comes up with answers all kinds of fun questions. And so one of them was, does living near a Starbucks increase your home's value? The answer, no. And then the other one, bummer. Do grill? I know, right? But although we just had a new Starbucks into Tacoma Park, so... You know, I guess it's good that it doesn't increase value or something. This I don't know how I feel is about not it. not sponsored by Starbucks, <laughs> but can I take a moment to talk about how happy I am that they now have chili mochas? You can get a spicy mocha. Oh, do they? Oh, my two favorite things in the world are cafe mochas and spicy foods. Oh, that does sound they good, actually. They have my two favorite things. Well, last year I'm we so did talk about pumpkin spice latte, so now we can maybe we can find some data about no, chili this spice is so mochas. vastly superior to yeah. pumpkin spice lattes. Agreed. I can't even... Agreed. No, I agree. I'm open to that. Okay. And then do grilled cheese lovers have better sex? I don't know who paid for that study. Anyway, the answer to that is no. (laughs) I feel like we actually talked about that study on this show. Maybe we did. Because it was one of those things that we posted on Facebook a couple months ago and people Mm. went nuts over. And so we like threw it in as a mention. Recurring secret guest, John Johnson. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, he's debunking some of the stuff that we talk about in this very segment. Excellent. No. Uh, Don't take away our fun. I know, right? Grilled cheese. still You can still eat it, guys. It's okay. Um, so anyway, but then the Simpsons, there was something at Reddit that got passed around, and they did a tally of every supporting cast member on the Simpsons, the number of words spoken. And you can't see the color coding in the script so well, but they did color coding by gender. And lo and behold, there weren't a lot of ladies at the top. Top was Mr. Burns. There just weren't a lot of ladies in general. I mean, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I didn't realize this Most until now. Most of the supporting characters on The Simpsons are men. I usually have a pretty good eye to like where I feel women are underrepresented in the Bechdel test and all that fun stuff. I feel like I have a, you know, I'm not like overly sensitive. I feel like I pay pretty close attention, and I guess I'm surprised. But not only are there not a lot of women, that there's like no woman in the top ten. You got to go a little bit deeper to see Mrs. Uh, Crabapple is on par with Carl. Not Lenny, Higher of course. than Sideshow Bob. Higher than Sideshow Bob. Well, that's good because Sideshow Bob is like a little creepy. But um, but Carl, <laughs> I mean, Carl's not the talkative one of Carl and Lenny. And Mrs. Crabapple is on par with Carl. So just to give you some sense of where everybody stacks up. Although, Selma has more words than Patty. Hmm. Yeah. Of the women. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Burns, far and away. Mr. Burns, Moe, Seymour Skinner, Ned Flanders, Krusty the Clown, top five. Grandpa, Grandpa Simpson, six. Uh, so, you know, th- that that all makes perfect sense to me. By the <laughs> way, speaking of the Bechdel test, I don't actually think Hamilton passes the Bechdel test. Oh. I was thinking about this the other – I don't know why I was thinking about this the other day. Mm. For some reason, I was start- I was just thinking about, like, there are some cool female characters in Hamilton. Like, right. Eliza, who is Alexander Hamilton's wife. Like, she's a well-developed, cool character. Angelica is an awesome character who is uh, Alexander Hamilton's sister-in-law slash – Kind of maybe love interest. Right. It's kind of a sketchy situation. Right. Um, very, very interesting. But I'm, I was like trying to think, do Angelica and Eliza have a conversation about something that is not Alexander Hamilton? Mm. And I don't think that they do. It's probably a little tougher to do in a musical because you just don't have as many. Because they do have a song where they're going Your words into, are a little bit more economical. They're going into the city to – watch the revolution begin to unfold. But Angelica's really like, I'm looking for a mind at work. Like, she's looking for a guy who's smart. So mm. I don't know that it actually passes the test. Mm. Uh-oh. I, been... We'll probably get a lot of reader feedback about this. Perhaps. From those, ha- from those Hamilton fans who love Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Come on, guys. And Morning Joe. Help us Joe. sort this out. They Help like, us sort this out. Their, their Twitter profile is like, likes Hamilton Hillary Clinton, Morning Joe, and Kristen Solta Sanderson. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that Venn diagram looks like. I probably know the three people that meet that. But no, the other thing, by the way, that I wanted to add into our survey was so we asked Morning Joe, we asked Hamilton. I wanted to ask, have you been on a, an Acela train? Oh, that's good. In the last six months. Uh, but Patrick Ruffini, my business partner, he sort of waved me off of it because he was like, no, then you're not actually counting like – elites from the other coast uh so he we did not include the acela question uh, fair enough fair enough phase. well i was listening so remember we had on um somebody from the intelligence squared podcast and they were talking about fixing the debates and we should check i meant to check in with them to see what they thought of how this last debate went um but they had a recent 
debate where they had a bunch of Republicans on, including Ben, whose last name I can't remember how to pronounce, from the Federalist radio show. Ben Dominic. Yes, who we went on, and um, and a variety of other folks that I'm sure are all your your buddies, all talking about are the elites responsible for Donald Trump. Now, they didn't say, like, elite Republicans. They were just, like, the elites. And so then you could kind of cast a wider net to, like, you know, everybody, which is what one person did in their argument against that motion, like, elites are not responsible. It's like, for example, let me ask people in this audience, raise your hand if you've been to Europe in the last five years. And everybody raised their hand. They're like, okay, I have another question. Generally speaking, is Sancerre a white or a red? And everyone's like, oh, white, obviously. And <laughs> he's like, okay, you're the elite, everybody. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> Do you feel responsible for Donald Trump? And everyone's like, breaks into laughter. So anyway, it's pretty funny. Folks want to check it out. It was, uh, I think, entertaining. But it was not from like, it's not when we had Benji and Leanne talk about Republicans and their view of sort of post-Trump and thoughts towards Trump. It was, you know, people were kind of pointing the finger at sort of everybody Elite wise, I not. think it was Ben Dominich and T- and Tim Carney. Yes, from the that's right. He writes with me at the Examiner. Yes, that's uh, right. I think they were team. Yes, yes elite with Jennifer cheerful. Rubin and somebody from the Wall Street Journal whose name I should know. Oh, that I don't. oh, oh, Brent, could, Brett Stevens. Yes, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it was good. It was very interesting. So folks should take a listen to it because it was uh, entertaining. Um, so anyway, key findings. Did you have poll denialism on your debate bingo card? (laughs) We will next time for sure. And everyone get your transition team ready, not for the next president, but for the rest of America. And never mind a man-interrupting or a mansplaining during the debate. What has been happening with The Simpsons? We had no idea. Maybe Homestar Runner is better on this dimension. <laughs> you can find us uh, at, on Twitter at, at The Pollsters or individually at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Uh, you can find us at www.thepolsters.com, our beautiful new website that has links uh, to all of the polls that we've talked about on this show, as well as links to all of the big major pollsters that you'll want to get data from. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, where you can see links to polls we might be talking about in the upcoming show. Um, And also make sure you like the ABC News This Week page, where Margie and I will hopefully over the next few weeks be doing some Facebook Live uh, segments every Monday. Uh, And make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast uh, platform, which now can include Spotify. Right. And sign up for our email list and We'll, we won't contact you very often. <laughs> we might not contact you at all. <laughs> okay, thanks. Take care. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.